Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back again to the Out of Oz podcast, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm Peter Tragos, one of your hosts, and with me as always, my buddy Aaron Curran, the pastor here. What do we got today? Man, we got we got some good stuff today. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, Mike Trill's on the podcast, he's making me laugh. So, um, no, we're talking about worship. And uh, we're talking about some, I think it's easy when we come to worship to to be a little flippant regarding how we worship and just kind of leave it up to everyone's preference. But scripture seems to be pretty clear on how Christians are to approach worship gatherings, um, church attendance, participation, and actual preparation of the hearts and demonstration of the body, you could say, in worship. So as followers of Christ gather every single weekend around the globe, there are varied expressions and postures of worship. Some are extremely reserved, while others are brazenly demonstrative. On one side of Christianity, you have kind of what is called the crazed charismania, and on the other side is the stoic and rigid crowd that has earned them the much-deserved moniker of the frozen chosen. So for the conscientious Christian, though, not really ascribing to either crowd necessarily, but ascribing to the word, the dual questions that must legitimately be answered are, one, how should I prepare for corporate worship? And secondly, really, how should I respond to the Lord, which brings in the title of this podcast, Must Christians Raise Their Hands in Corporate Worship? And to answer kind of all these questions, or at least strive to help us answer these questions, I've got a couple of my favorite people on the podcast today. The two loudest voices in our worship room. That right? is true. It's one true. with a microphone and one without. One in the center stage with a microphone and one somewhere else in the crowd. Um, but on, ahead, on, take uh, your shots at me. That's not a hey, shot. No, 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 really, no, look at your face that's when you said that. I'm good, I'm good with it, baby. That hey, was a compliment. Peter is very judgmental, man. He grew up Baptist. So. <laughs> I, had an, I had an issue with some of your characterizations in the opening, but I guess I'll reserve my arguments for later. Uh, as a frozen chosen, Peter did not like that. Um, but no, uh, on the podcast today, we have one of our newly instated elders, the man we affectionately refer to here as Pop, Pastor of Punishment, <laughs> yeah. Major Mike yeah. Trill. Hello there. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah, it's awesome. He, if you, if you don't know, if you're newer to the podcast or to church, he is the voice without a microphone on Sunday morning that you can still hear. And I love it. I love it. I mean, I love when you walk up front and you'll see people have actually said on the on the recording, on the live stream, they'll be like, why did you make that cheesy expression? I'm like, just true walked up front. <laughs> I saw him. I caught him out of the corner of my eyes. So. People ask you about your expressions on the live stream. They do. People ask about everything on the live stream. And then, um, look, superlatives fail when it comes to this person. She is an artist. She is uh, a designer. She is truly a beautiful soul. She brings a calm and peace and tranquility around the office. 
Uh, and she is our worship leader and my good friend, Miss Danny Taylor, hey making guys. her out of Oz debut. <laughs> well. That is well. that is not the trill clap. Okay? It's well as well. <laughs> Golf clap. Happening. And uh, and Danny, our worship leader, and Mr. Trill, one of our pastor elders here, they are going to help us tackle this subject of worship. And I'm looking forward to the discussion today. So, Pete, right. take the wheel. Okay. So when getting into actually corporate worship, okay. So that's a lot of what I think people are tuning in to hear what we say about corporate worship, what must Christians do, right? But They're before, tuning in to hear Danny. But, but, and that's where we're getting. All right, Danny, <laughs> so get ready. So before we dive into all of the things that you guys are going to tell Christians they must do, um, <laughs> let's define what corporate worship actually is, Danny. Simply put, Jesus followers gathering regularly in one place where they are learning, praying, singing, and worshiping together. So is it not just singing, Aaron? It's not just it's singing. Not, it's not just singing. It's not just. Thank you. It's not just. <laughs> it's not just. But what has happened, at least from my observation, and I've been in reform circles since the late 90s, is that singing, as well as, if we're honest, we're talking about in Protestantism, the Lord's Supper and Baptism have been marginalized oftentimes for the preference of a 45, 50-minute, hour-long sermon. That's really important but so too are the sacraments and the worship of Christ, especially responding. You saw in the early church, they responded in song. There's good evidence that they actually say most of, if not all of their music to after the sermon, so they could respond in prayer and worship to what the Lord had done. And so when we talk about worship, yes, all these are components, but specifically corporate worship is the gathering of the church together. Don't forsake that. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake that. The gathering of the church together to actually be the church and a primary component of that is to adore the Lord through sound teaching and through, I would argue, the musical worship. So so would you say that a worship service without singing is anti-biblical, Trill? Well, we're called to. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But it doesn't say every week, every if, Sunday, if, every corporate if worship service. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise in, whatever, let's see, Ephesians 5, uh, 15, I believe it is. The days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, understand the will of the Lord, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart. Uh, to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're called to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's part of our responsibility in corporate worship. And again, we like to use the word worship, and everybody goes, well, how is worship? They're talking about singing. Corporate worship is all of it combined. Right. But we are called to do that. And when we address each other in that, I am encouraging her in sound biblical song like psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it builds her up. She will in turn sing and build me up. We will exhort each other in biblical doctrine through our songs if you're singing sound biblical doctrine See, that's songs. what I was going to get to. So, so when I hear that answer and I hear you say the psalms and the hymns, where and then I hear Aaron say people are too rigid, the frozen chosen, whatever. Uh, my favorite quote from one of our elders is, is that music pleasing to man or is it pleasing to God? That somebody has had complaints about our music him before. Um, but so where do you draw the line? Where is the appropriate amount of singing versus reading the Psalms versus singing hymns? Where do you draw the line as far as what worship should actually be like? What's appropriate? What's biblical? Because I think that's kind of 
that's, I think, why music went away in some churches, which I'm not arguing that this is right. I'm just trying to bring opposite viewpoints since all three of you are very similarly minded. But like, so I think they pulled that away because it was starting to get all about me, pleasing to man, playing the jams, changing the words to a Backstreet Boys song and playing it on church. Nothing on wrong the, with that. So, so everybody <laughs> love Jesus. Is so, that Backstreet Boys, by the way? Not, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully that, that is the sound bite that they take from this episode right there. <laughs> so, but seriously, so where do you, as far as it comes to singing and songs, right? And we, we've talked about, I don't think we necessarily need to talk about the theology of songs in this episode but so like where do you draw the line of it becoming too much about like pleasing to us and what we want to do in here and we think is fun because it's boring to listen to him talk for 45 minutes not that i think that but of course not like that's i think why the church kind of has this swing back and forth is it's like we're going to just talk for five minutes and say something that makes everybody feel good and we're going to sing for an hour and a half so first of all i don't think it's wrong for a church to not have music Every single time it gathers. Obviously, we have home groups that gather here. That is corporate worship. That's collective corpus from Latin. just means body. So that's when the body comes together to worship, whether it's 15 people and all. That's worship. Home group is is worship, as Charles talked about. So it doesn't have to. Every single gathering doesn't have to. You have classes. You could even have arguably a Sunday, Thursday gathering and not have music. It would be weird. Not only because culturally we become accustomed to that, but because historically the yeah. church has always gathered to take communion hear the word preached and respond in song. Um, also, Trill quoted Colossians 3, 16 and 17. And you mentioned that. I think when we hear Psalms right away as, you know, Westerners who have grown up with the English rendering of scripture, we think, well, that's talking about the 150, the Psalms uh, in the Old Testament. As opposed but, to what they but, actually are. <laughs> but but the Psalms, like when Paul writes that in, in the Greek language to uh, the church at Colossae, he's He's writing, Psalms are, are typically understood as anthems directed to God about his attributes and his words. So and those are the Psalms of David, right? Like well, people a lot, call them that. A lot uh, of people call them like, these are the Psalms of David when they read one of them or whatever, well, they, because it, it's not just the only Psalm. But we is. can write modern day Psalms, exactly. meaning, meaning that we're, we're writing these prayers directly to God. A hymn is something that is more descriptive of God. Mm -hmm. It's something that's sung together. And then... Typically, it's understood that these spiritual songs are anthems of confession, of dependency upon the Lord. And so when Paul's writing that, as Danny and I kind of sit down and, and plan worship gatherings, to talk through songs, I'm always cognizant. We're always cognizant of, is this a psalm? Is this a hymn? Is this a spiritual song? And certain things help us to respond more in worship along those lines. So it doesn't actually have to be you know, sung from the Psalter, even though we have some of those, especially some modern renderings of, you know, different psalms. Um, and it doesn't have to be sung from a hymn book. You can have modern hymns that are describing the Lord um, in third person. And then you can have, you have these modern spiritual songs. So that, that's a distinction that needs to be made. As far as the question goes, how does worship come all about us? I would love to hear Danny's thoughts on this. It's a slippery slope. I think from the moment that you are on stage and you have people either directing, they're clapping, it feels like maybe it's coming at you. You tend to crave that admiration. Um, you tend to have a sense of entitlement. Um, you don't make it about yourself anymore. It's being directed at you instead of at Christ, or so you feel like maybe it is. And so everything then becomes about you and not about the whole purpose of leading others in worship. How do you deal with, because you pick the songs, you kind of pick the order or whatever in each week and you plan it out, whatever. How do you guard against trying to pick 
songs that you think like people will like the best or everybody will come up and be like, wow, that sounded so good. Like you guys, we call them so the great. hand raisers. It's one of those that, you know, you're going to get. And so how I, do you guard against just picking that versus what you think is most appropriate for worship? That's, I guess my question. Cause I mean, or how do you deal with that combo? Cause you guys pick them together, right? So you can kind of answer this together. So we've talked about it a lot. Like Danny will send songs that, that she's like, this is, this is great. And, or I'll, I'll shoot her a song that I think is awesome. And, and we've also talked about that within, once again, kind of kind of the Baptist reform world, emotion has gotten a bad rap today. Like it's like God has made us to be emotive creatures, not just mental, uh, intellectual creatures. And so, yes, while we should be enlightened and take the word in, there should be an emotional response to that. Like when when my little girl was born, I'm I'm there in the in the room and I see her for the first time. Yes intellectually, I understand this is life and this is beauty and this is a, the goodness of God demonstrated. But I was overwhelmed with emotion at this gift like that God had given me. And I think that's absent a lot of times, especially if we're going to get into it, if we have not prepared well for that. And so there's nothing wrong like when, when Danny and I, I don't think there is. I don't think there's anything wrong with us going, this is kind of a more, we introduced it as well, uh, the modern version of it as well last month. And then this month we introduced Psalm 130. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very different. Yes. Um, one is is more of a cry of confession and dependence, Psalm 130. And it as well can be a cry of, of dependence, but it's also this attesting to the, the Lord's strength and his yeah. might and his how he preserves his people. And 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 we knew one of we knew those two songs were gonna get very different responses. Like you just knew it. Like you knew that one was kind of this more emotive song, and the other, while they're still emotional depth to it is straight out from the Psalms. We don't ever go, hey, look, let's let's avoid stirring up very tangible emotional responses. As a matter of fact, we would like more of that. Yeah. But we don't, we don't, I don't know if we guard necessarily against fostering that. I have a question for Trill as well, here, but I want to hear what Danny says about that. What so what goes through your head when you're picking the songs? Like what are you thinking about? I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's very well thought out as far as what song goes in what order and it because I feel like we kind of take them on a journey from beginning to end each song has a purpose the person singing that song like is very thought out as well as far as how they lead us in that worship I think um I don't know I don't feel like we I don't know that I'm answering the question correctly. <laughs> well, we, we, we want it we want it to be process. we want the yeah, liturgical structure to yeah. be where we're kind of starting out with a typically with a song about the victory and triumph and strength of mm-hmm. Christ or the triune God. And then it starts to lead us into a really a salvific explanation of the gospel. Like so we typically will will head toward like we don't like doing songs that's all about us here, where we're saying we're singing about yeah. how great we are yeah, and all. and you know how you know how amazing the Christian life is all the time. We like to to sing these songs that remind us of the redemption of Christ for us, of his the power of his resurrection, of our need for him, our constant dependency mm-hmm. upon him. And so we want to lead people toward that and prepare their hearts to receive the word and then in response to the word. And we do this all the way leading up until Thursday night. Like mm-hmm. we'll be back and forth on the structure of service and how. How we can not just prepare like a dynamic experience, Mm -hmm. but how we can lead the people of God into before the throne of God with one another so they actually hear the word or prepare to hear the word and then respond to the word. 
So Tro, how is listener and worshiper in the service, do you guard against making it all about you or the songs you want to hear? How do you prepare yourself for worship? Kind of what goes into all of your worship experience as not someone choosing the songs or the order or things like that, but just experiencing it? There should be a balance and a guard against over-emotionalism. Um, and I'm not saying you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm right. watching watch YouTube at these churches mm-hmm. and it becomes some competition basically it's no it's just to stir up as much emotion as possible without Mm -hmm. thinking of what you're singing or again going back to the i'm this i'm that this is all me this is the church it's about me and i'm an overcomer and i'm a this and that and there's never any focus on who god is and there's never any focus on the need of confession and repentance and and who i am before god those are huge things when i'm singing so when we talk about preparing to begin with i mean you can't just wake up Sunday morning and go, okay, I'm prepared. I mean, it's it's throughout the week, and I fail every week. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you know the, the Christian life is oh, easy. Big, big time. Big yeah. time. Yeah, big thank time. you. Sure. Well, that's not part as of much it. as Aaron, but I, I – Part of it, right? We're always reminded we're sinners. I mean, exactly. every week we're reminded and of so, it. So I, it's, it's the, the, the worship throughout the week is, to me, obedience to Christ, uh, spending time in the word prayer, leading my family well, living for him. And, and so it, it makes it easier to prepare uh, but I think it should be taken seriously and prioritized. And, and I don't know if we're going to get into it later, but here, here's the thing. People don't really prioritize or understand the importance of our weekly gathering or weekly gatherings. Sure. Um, you know, we don't get excited about it. It's almost be- it becomes like, a, hey, I have to do this kind of thing. Where is if your family's going to, to Disney World, bro, you're up early. You're planning it the week That's ahead. Right. Um, if you've got a, a, a big game coming up, you're all excited and you get everybody ready. But Sunday morning comes and you're like, eh, come on, throw something together. Let's go. And we walk in and then it becomes about me, right? You entertain me with the music. You entertain, uh, entertain me or you tell me what I want to hear. It literally becomes about me, and that's what needs to be guarded against. But when, when it comes to emotionalism, when you talk about emotions in the songs, to me, and this is me, the doctrine or the words that are being spoken is what makes it a, the, my emotions come out, not the dramatic music. or And I, I do, I like when it starts to crescendo and oh, comes course, through. Man. We hear the troll trap. I, I do like yeah. that, and it does excite <laughs> me. But what is we're singing is what makes me emotional, right? Understanding, and, and, and I, I, I put some of that down here, like I was thinking about how people react in, in the service or, or when people are singing. And here's some lyrics that, I mean, this is just something we've sung in church uh, within the last, what, several months. If you, if you pull them up, Danny will sing them. Will you sing, <laughs> will you sing them I'll be, I'll be on drums. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Um, here it is. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call, off, call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has taught me, uh, brought me life. I know that it is finished. How can you sing that word and not feel emotion of what Christ has done for you? How can you sing those words and not understand that your sin, Christ died for your sin on the cross, my sin. And that's what stirs up the emotion in me. My my gratitude, my my thankfulness. Uh, The God of heaven stepped down from glory to uh, bear my sin and wear my shame. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Or hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. You're singing these words and how can it not have some emotion of gratitude and adoration to God? And when, I, when I'm singing personally, obviously I try not to make it about me. I picture what I'm singing. When, when we sing, I see the man upon the cross. Mm-hmm. I picture Christ hanging on the cross in my stead. When we sing one day, we're going to see him face to face. 
I think about that and falling down in front of the throne and just worshiping him. And if that doesn't have an emotional response, I mean, that does stir up my emotion, but it's the words that do it. It's understanding. And literally, we go into church and people just uh, mouth the word. I don't know how you can just mouth the words like this to something so deep and rich. And you're talking about your salvation. Well, listen, you understand how they can, right? I mean, nobody's perfect. A lot of people have a lot of stuff going on. The point is you need to prepare yourself before you get there. I don't think it's like condemnation if your baby's been screaming all morning, you just had to drop them off and you spilled coffee all over. So whatever to have like a rough Sunday, but I get what you're saying. That's what it needs to be like when you get those words. And I wish we could do the whole podcast on that. Cause I think that's great to dig in. And the fact that you should have an emotional response, I don't think anybody should disagree with. Right. So I yeah, don't think I th- anybody think- listening should disagree with, but I want to get to the title of the podcast. Okay, I think that's I, why but, people but are think, listening. But I, I do think in response to what Trill's saying, that this is really important that coming in, having a bad Sunday, you've had a bad week. Maybe you need corporate worship that morning just to kind of, the, the truth of this to watch. I agree, over but you. it'll look different. You might not start singing with emotion the first song that you hear. But if it's week after week after sure, week, I agree. After that week, should there's, be a self-check. There's, an, there's an issue there. Absolutely. Especially when you get up not wanting to go to church. Like that stuff you can control. You can't control if one week or whatever your heart's not in the place for worship. That's how all of us are going to be. I mean, we're going to all go through times like that. If you start off in a bad, uh, hey, my baby's crying. Right. You can still prepare your heart. Absolutely. When you hear these words, you know what? The baby crying that Sunday really pales in comparison to the glory of God. I agree. And what he's done for us. So, I mean, that that is something that should convict us at that point. And I agree. Um, to three hand raisers here, must Christians raise their hands in corporate worship when singing? Okay, that's the question that I think people want to hear us talk about. I want to hear what you three talk about, what biblical backing you have, and, you know, why you would advise this is a must if you do. Can we start with Danny or do you want to start? I, all I want to say- I don't want you to take any of All I want to say is this, because we, we brushed over it. The command is clear. Trill read Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. There are numerous commands from Exodus 15, Psalm 147, Psalm 149, Zephaniah 3, Zechariah 2, James 5, Psalm 96, wow. of you have to sing like there's not an option there. If you're, if you're coming into corporate worship and you're not singing, it was very clear in the reformation. The reformers taught this, that is disobedience before the Lord. Like we're, we're not called to stand and listen. Uh, There's no call for choirs in the church. Not there's anything wrong with that or for worship bands, but the saints are called to sing. So that is pretty black and white, cut and dry. When we gather in, we're not supposed to hold our coffee and stare mindlessly at the screen. We are supposed to sing with hearts bent on adoration. So now we get to, Hands lifted in worship. <laughs> and I just like, want to clarify that. Well, the question is, why aren't you singing? What What is your... Not true, we don't have time for yeah. it, man. We just I don't have time for it. We've done so many big, broad <laughs> topics to get to this well, very narrow question. Who this? All right. I don't know. Danny, what do you got? <laughs> as must far we? As do we have to raise our we? hands? Do we have to? I don't know that we have to, but... Psalm 119, I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and will meditate on your statutes. Psalm 63, so I will bless you as long as I live at your name, I will lift up my hands. John 424 says that Jesus said that God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. But he also says we are called to worship God with not just our bodies, but our hearts, minds, and our souls. So, I mean, people can say that they're standing there worshiping with their souls and their hearts and their minds, but... I think the way you said it earlier, like, how are you not raising your hands in just awe and uh, I, wonderment? I, I like, just want to let you know I didn't say that you had to raise your hands. No, no, no. I know. I'm saying, but. I, you should have. I would say, him. well, I would say that you don't have to. 
lifting holy hands was in prayer. I was hoping so bad Aaron was oh, going to say now, there are 21 oh, no. references now, to now, lifting hands now, and, in the Bible. And here's the thing. If you <laughs> deem it as a prayer, yes. Do I believe there's anything wrong with it? No. Do I sure. w- raise my hand? Yes. In worship, that's what I do. And, and here's my question, again, going back to this. If you'll go to a concert and you'll go, woo, and raise your hands to this guy on stage, then the question is, why are you singing in church and not raising your hands to the Holy One? Why are the King of Kings? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a hard issue. I guess I'm fielding all of these questions, so I'll wait till the end to answer. But um, I have an answer for that. What? Why Why you would do that at a concert? I wouldn't, but I, I have okay. an answer as to what, why it's different. Put it that way. Okay. Go ahead. But, but I, I, I would agree with those. Out of adoration, a raising of hands in adoration or worship, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't believe that you're in sin if you don't, if okay. that's the question. That is the question. No. I, I think that's the question. Is that the question, Eric? But then it becomes, why aren't you? So I think that it's very, very easy for, we've talked about this on so many podcasts, it's very easy for Christians to justify what they don't want to do, Mm -hmm. okay? So when we hear things like, like Danny read some of them, there are numerous occasions in scripture talking about raising hands in worship as an expression. I, I I would like to hear them. Okay. Well, I, mean, I would like oh, to hear them say, no, 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 raise no. your hands no, 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 in no, no, corporate no. I'm worship. Saying, I'm saying there are numerous references to raising our yes. hands. Yes. Right. This was this existent. Um, the ones that would come to mind right away uh, that I jotted down here that seem to be a direct command, and I would love to know how Christians get around them, is Psalm 134 two: Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Um, you know, you have a, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, which doesn't talk about hands, but talks about preparing our steps as we enter into the assembly yard. Not enough Christians do that. We're not preparing for that. And so when the music comes or the word is preached, there's not that response to it that should be there. You also have Lamentations 341, which says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And then you have Paul, which Trill already mentioned, but yeah, Paul there in First Timothy 2.8 saying, I desire then, and this is not just Paul's desire or, or wish, but he's writing to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I desire then that in every place, the men should pray. This is a corporate command once again, should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And I would have, the reason I said, ugh, kind of tongue in cheek earlier, but kind of not, is because I hate when we can when we divorce certain things in corporate worship from other things. I think that 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 prayer is worship, and that when we sing, I think I've, I've actually encouraged people who struggle with their prayer life. I'm like, sing the psalms, sing the songs that we sing in church, sing those directly to the Lord, like to to build and foster and cultivate prayer. Now, do we have to have hands um, spread out over our heads, or do we have to have a fist raised to heaven? <laughs> You can, and and my, I think my contention is, is that in the reformed world, especially in the very kind of conservative, for lack of a better word, stale reform world at times, we have so demonized that and made it weird that people don't want to do that. Most mm-hmm. of the excuses I hear for not raising your hands are not sound biblical. Hey, that's just not my personality because I wouldn't do that at a sporting event and I wouldn't do it at a concert. It's mostly, I don't want to feel weird. weird. I don't yep. know how people will think of this, how they're going to respond to this. That doesn't even matter. Like if the spirit of the Lord is leading us to demonstrate by a raised hand at our side or certainly by an expression of joy on our countenance. Uh, I mean, Danny and I talk about looking out at times and some of our people are very engaged and very worshipful. And uh, I mean, at times you're just going, man, and maybe they've had a bad week, but it seems Sunday after Sunday, Thursday after Thursday, that certain folks walk in and I can include myself in that. And they just seem like this has not landed upon them with the gravity that it should, because if it had, there would be some type of expression 
And I would argue like Danny did that when you study scripture, Old and New Testament, the principle that applies is that it is all of us that is engaged in the worship and adoration of God. It is not just mind. That's important. Can't be divorced. It is not just spirit in truth, but it's also body. It's mind, soul, and body that is engaged in this before the Lord. That's why so often you hear hitting our knees before the Lord or on our knees before the Lord. Why? Because posture is important. Like posture is important. Like when I pray, you know, do I always have to be on my knees? No. When I sing, do I always have to raise my hand? No. But I think there should be a preparation and a willingness on our part to fall on our knees, to raise our hands, to, to express before the Lord. And we forget that according to Paul in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, this actually encourages our brothers and sisters to do that as well. Yes. People who are reserved and going, what are people going to think? When they see our leaders, I always talk to our worship leaders about expressing their worship, not in a showy way, but in a compelling way, because worship is contagious. Sing to one another in Psalms and hymns, spiritual song, not just to the Lord. Sing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, but sing to one another. So that's, sorry, that is, I'm very passionate about this. Yeah, I, and I, I have think, a lot of questions, right? So I just, yeah. I want to ask questions that people that I've talked about about this, and I grew up in a church that raising your hands was fine. It was even encouraged, like you're saying, and it was some of the fakest people in the church that would raise their hands and dance and get all sure. into it, okay? So you you have to deal with stuff like that too, is like people come in with, I'm uncomfortable with that, and you guys roll your eyes at it or say, I don't want to group you all together, but, but Aaron and Trill, um, you, <laughs> Danny you, never rolls her eyes you, at anyone. You, you roll your eyes at it and say it's so flippant for people to get over these things. But if someone wants to worship and is worshiping appropriately in heart, mind, soul, and mouth and singing, and doesn't feel comfortable raising their hands because they think it's fake, or they think if I raise my hands, I would just do it because I heard this podcast or because Aaron, I know Aaron likes me to raise my hand. So, okay, I'm yeah. going to raise my Danny me, likes you too. You don't too. need to do Danny that. Danny likes But I'm reason. sorry. I, I I don't agree that they should feel more compelled to raise their hands. I don't think they should. I just think we need to grapple with these, at least these three texts that seem to be, especially when we can so easily take other commands of scripture that are I would say less explicit than some of these and go and go, this is a command. So you can't do this or you need to do this. And yet it seems from these three passages we mentioned, and I'm not sitting here saying you're in sin if you don't, but how do you wrestle with and grapple with these texts of scripture? If scripture is our will. guide. Let's go quick. Well, let's go rapid well, fire. If it goes back to, you to that, are you lifting holy hands or in prayer? Are you, are you raising your hands or lifting hands like these said outside of corporate worship? Okay, good question. So let's talk about that. Are you doing at home? More power right, to you then. Right. But I don't think you're doing it at home either. Right. Because some people just don't have that feel. Like that's the other thing is people don't have that feeling, that necessity to do it. So my question is, do you, do you feel, cause it sounds like you feel and Danny, please jump in. I know it's going to be loud and fast and I'm rushing us because you're I want to hear what you guys say to all this stuff. Cause these are the questions that I've been getting about this topic. What does worship mean in the Greek? The doxa? The proskuya. Is that how you say it? Oh, it means to ascribe worth. Right. And when you, it describes it, it's talking about kissing like or dog licking a hand, correct? Or going prostrate, right? Well, that's what I was going to say. So, so there are biblical this is, mandates to- this is, the, this is the concept of it. You're, you're, you're worshiping, falling down before the most high God. So that was my next so question. So why, why aren't you? So there are also biblical mandates to worship the Lord with your face to the ground, on your knees, standing- so why are we picking one biblical mandate, not another? And also we're jumping ahead, but the, the, you've given me the 21 references about raising your hands before. Cause when I was talking to friends that have been on the podcast, not with me, but they've been on the podcast, um, about this topic. And they were, we went through every single one of them, 21 different references to raise your hand. None of them are a mandate to raise your hand and worship in corporate, in corporate worship. No, zero of them, mm -hmm. zero out of 21. 
So so grapple with the text. I agree with you that that we should have a heart of worship. It's not we should have emotion towards it. It's not what this argument is. It's purely a physical response that I feel like you're almost equating to James. If you have faith, you will have fruit. You cannot have one without the other. That's kind of what it sounds like you're saying. You can't have appropriate worship without raising of hands. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Like, so I want to be clear on that. Okay. Once again, I, I think I've said it a couple of times. So I want to say it again for anybody listening. You're not in sin if you don't raise your hands. The sin comes with what, what is our refusal to engage in the totality that we are, however we would engage, because if I'm honest, what I've seen in churches, conferences, and even here at our church is... I don't care. Like Danny and I will notice people who their eyes are closed and they're seeing the the words and and they're holding their coffee and a hand is by their side. It would seem like it would seem once again, and I know it's hard to you don't want to be judgmental at all, but we're also called to discern and to shepherd and to guide. It would seem at times like that is that is a a display of a heart that is bent on the worship of God. But what we see conversely a lot of times is. Yes, it can be fake and it can be frothy, even somebody raising their hand. But a lot of times it seems like there's this colossal disconnect that I believe, based on my study of scripture and psychology, that when we are overwhelmed with truth that we actually believe, there is a response, a tangible, visible response. Now, that doesn't mean I have to raise my hand, but there should be a posture. You can maybe fall on your knees. You could fall prostrate. That would be kind of weird in the church because people don't do that. But I would rather that. Some people do. I would rather that than, not in our church anyway, I would rather that though than just kind of this frozen up, so paranoid of what people are going to think of me or so overwhelmed with the week because I haven't prepared my heart to come before the Lord. My whole contention is that it would seem in scripture from the references you've mentioned and the ones I mentioned that there should be some type of physical response to what we mentally and emotionally connect with to know to be true. Like there should be something there. I want to combine two questions now to try to keep us speeding forward. So Aaron's famous for his kids in, in worship. Um, get out, don't let the door hit you on the way out, um, to drop your distracting kids off. It's called infamous. So, so distracting. Okay. People have said it's very distracting when certain people raise their hands. Like if they're worshiping and they're opening their eyes and closing their eyes to make sure they see the words because they might not know all the words or whatever. And they do want to sing the words appropriately. And somebody raises their hand in front of them and throws them and it breaks their concentration or their worship, whatever. So there's nothing against, there's nothing biblically mandating kids are not allowed in worship, Right. Or there's nothing mandating we kick them out. So, so my point is, what about the distracting nature that it could have on some people? Well, I think it's a balance, first of all. And why are you raising your hands, or why are you clapping? Are there why, parameters too? Why, there, there needs jumping to, up and down, like yeah, well, oh yeah, like I'm at a basketball well, game. Well, once again, uh, I, I think there is because the, the reverence to the Lord is not. I'm not going to strip my shirt off and run up and down. The, the, uh, well, you would do I that. Know, I would be surprised, bro. You would do that <laughs> at a gym, I mean, at a concert. <laughs> not on Sunday morning. Um, no, I, and and that, and then, again, then the, the thing is, why are you doing something? What is the purpose? Where is the heart when you're doing it? Is it to make a big show? Because if it is, then the heart's wrong, and it doesn't matter what you're yeah, doing, the heart's wrong. You. Yeah. If you are in worship of, of the Lord and you raise your hands or clap or whatever – um, there's a difference between that and a show, but it needs to, I do believe there needs to be parameters on it because there is a reverence before God that we're doing uh, or that we should have. And so we're we're directing our worship both vertically but horizontally building each other up and singing songs and hymns and prayer. but it's a worship of God. So it I do believe that it can get a little bit too wild 
and that becomes more of a show. And if it's the if it's the I have to do this and, and put on some big show, it is distracting. I agree with you. And I think that's part of the problem, too, is not everybody has appropriate views on the raising of hands and things like that. Danny, in Aaron's opening, he was very flippant about people just want to want to be able dick. to worship the way that they want to worship. And we've gotten so easy about that. What do you think? What What do you think? What would you tell Christians at our church and other churches about worshiping the way that they want, where are the lines as far as this is absolutely a must in worship and then other things that we've been talking about are appropriate but not necessarily a must? Danny's never going to attack me. That would be mean. That would be no, no, no. Of I'm not saying attack him, but like, so we've talked a lot about the heart of worship, right? right? And we've talked a lot about what you guys think about and putting in the songs and how you want there to be a beginning and the end and you want them to kind of go through the worship experience. And we've talked a lot about experiential things, which is all fine. But like, where do you draw the line on parameters? Like, do they have to sing out loud and say the words? Do they have to raise their hands? Do they have to jump up and down? Do they have to fall on their face? Do they have to get on their knees? Like, if you're going to tell somebody, if somebody's going to ask you, like, I want to worship appropriately, but I'm not comfortable raising my hands or having this big outward thing or screaming the words because I have a bad voice or whatever. So like, what would you tell them? Like, well, here's what I think is important when you come into corporate worship that you're experiencing with us. I mean, I, th- I feel like you need to treat it like any other spiritual discipline. You know, you you practice prayer, you read your Bible, you want to be more, you know, um, knowledgeable in the word. And so I don't know why we would then put corporate worship or just worship in general on the back burner. Like, I feel like that's something else that we need to get our hearts and minds right when we walk in the door. So like prayer and confessional time before you come, leave things at home, like try to just Give everything to God as best as you can. So when you come in here, everything that you're focused on is Him. Like there's, you're not worried about the fight that you had in the car ride or whatever it is, you know, like take a moment, kind of give that to the Lord. And then I feel like you can kind of release everything to Him. You're not worried about what other people around you are thinking because you're ultimately focused on Him. Christians need to remember principle and preference when it comes to corporate worship. There are biblical principles that if you neglect them, it's a sin. I think that's where we're, we're trying to discern on raising hands. Clearly, singing is a biblical principle. It's mandated to us. Clearly, preparing your heart for worship, Ecclesiastes 5, is, is mandated to us. But then there's preferential things, too. Like, Charles made it very clear, even though he loves clapping and singing loud, which I love, and raising his hands, that if we ever introduce fog machines here, he's just going to pull the plug. No, he's going to cut, gonna cut the, the cord. He's going to cut, cut the wire. wire. Um, but that's preferential. At the end of the day, that's a preferential thing. Having kids in service or having them dismissed from service, at the end of the day, is a preferential thing. That every church, we have, we have kind of dress codes that Danny and I talk to and and distribute to the band. Um, We have volume of music. We have having drums in worship and electric guitar. Those are all preferential things that each church, the leaders of the church have to determine and decide upon. And there's also preferential stances that I can take as a worshiper, as a congregant who's coming into the church. But, But when it starts to violate the kind of the standards set down by the church. So for example, if you're speaking in tongues in the gathering, I don't, I don't mind saying this and we'll have a, a charismatic podcast at some point, but if you're speaking in tongues in the gathering, that's a violation of scripture without an interpreter and more than two or three people present. And so we don't permit that here because that is, that's not preference. That's principle. That's something that we say, nope, you can't do. If someone is running up and down the aisles here, that would not be necessarily a violation of biblical principle, but that would be a violation of our institutional preference that we've put in place to say, 
this is not appropriate because it is, there are lines drawn preferentially by leaders of this is too distracting for worship. If somebody's coming up front and they're dancing in front of Danny while she's singing, that's going to be very distracting to her and to other people. And so there are certain things. Wait till tonight. <laughs> every church has to make a determination. The leaders and the congregation of the church has to make a determination of preferentially what is distracting, what is not. And our con- every context is different. When I went to Zambia, that was not out of the ordinary for right. Christians to run around the church and, and hoot and stream. And that's cool. That, that was their context. Here in the suburbs, in Clearwater, that would be very distracting, typically, especially in our context here in our local church, for someone to do that. But clapping, raising hands, singing loudly, those would be actually encouraged preferentially. So, Trill, to end with this, okay? Add to this, expand on this with your, well, how you would tell people, because this is one of my questions, right? If you come to worship and you're prepared and you're genuine and you're sincere and you are worshiping, praising, giving glory to, praying as part of that process, does it matter what it looks like? That's the question. Like, do I have to stand? Do I have to raise my hands? Do I have to kneel? Do I have to sing out loud? Or is the heart and head and what I'm thinking and actually sincerely, genuinely doing, is that what's important? Well, the heart is what is important. However, we looked at scripture over and over again, singing to one another. You got to sing to one another. And if you're singing in your head, you're not exhorting me, you're not encouraging me, you're not lifting me up, you're not filling Colossians and Ephesians. So I will so you're say saying that. singing out loud. As, as singing well. out loud. So yes. so so so, so, so everybody me, that's around me at church, just remember, Trill is my elders telling me I have to. I don't because care. My voice you know is what? terrible. My no, wife, I still do. I still do. My wife does not sing that great. She'll tell you, there's nothing finer than standing next to her listening, because that's my wife singing praises to my God. Do you understand? Oh, I understand. I just the level of my voice is what I try. So to no, no, I don't so care. Stand me. next to me and sing off key all you want. That'll make me so happy to hear. Right. Um, and here's the thing. And you, I know you're playing the kind of devil's advocate with sure. the, we should do this, we should do that. But I, I guarantee you, uh, that's just my, I guarantee my uh, opinion. I guarantee you. That made sense. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> the majority of people that aren't singing or just moving their mouth to these words, you put them at a karaoke party or somewhere out there and they'll sing, don't stop believing at the top of their lungs, some song, but you get in here and then they're too embarrassed to sing to so the Lord So it kind of gets to the faith and fruit. It kind of gets to that. In your mind, you think it's similar to in James where like well, people are like, well, do you think they're a Christian? Well, they have no fruit at all. You're saying if you're going to worship my, my properly, is, you're going to be singing. My question then is, and I'm not judging, and my question for you is, how can you realize what Christ has done for you Sing those words out loud or sing those in, in, in maybe be insensitive to people who have fears of public speaking and whatever. Yeah. So well, there is fear, there's some fear of, that. of man is a sin. Yeah. So let's no, just be I'm honest. Let's just be straight man, up. But I'm, all right. It is. Well, hold on. It is. I'm afraid of public speaking, but Christ died on the cross okay, for me. I, listen, and that does not spur you to sing praises to him, which he's commanded us to do to give him glory, to give him praise, and as a church, build each other up and encourage her because I want God to get more outward. We're not going to give him any more glory than he has, but the praise that he, the adoration he deserves, if my job is to adore him and worship him, and my job is to get her to adore him and worship him more, and her job is to get me you right. tell me why you're not singing out right. loud. And I think this is all good yeah. advice for people to think about, like who mm-hmm. struggle with any and of again, their I'm, thoughts. I, I, like I tried I to bring up as many of the objections that I've heard so we can kind of give people what to think about as you go through that. And why are you really, why are you really apprehensive about it? And is it appropriate? 
You know, I think that's really where it comes down to, is it sin or not? Is like you're saying, are you afraid of what the person next to you is going to think? Because that's a sin if that's why you're not raising your hands, right? right. If I could give one Let's final takeaway, yes. the, the, biggest, the biggest takeaway that I would hope our church at least hears here and then Christians everywhere is that worship on Sunday morning, A, we already know this, is not primarily about us. It's primarily about the Lord. But secondarily is for those around us, like Trillis said, like Danny's reference, like we're, we're worship leaders. We stand on stage and we lead. I love nothing more than to be led by the congregation in response. Like where I can see my brothers and sisters sing, where I look in the back and I see my wife raising her hand. Like when I see that, that we are corporately united in our love and passion for Jesus and appreciation for what he's done for us. That's what Paul's talking about, that contagion that is there in corporate worship. It's one of the reasons we come together. Corporate is an expression of privatized worship. So I've been worshiping Christ all week long individually. I should come together with the body now and worship. And so, yes, it's important that we understand that, that we admit, hey, I'm, I'm here primarily for the Lord, but also that we admit, secondarily, I'm here for my brothers and sisters who need that encouragement, who need that catechesis to, to be instructed in the word, to be instructed in the gospel. And so that's where I would land the plane today. Hopefully our listeners can take that away and be encouraged by that. When growing up, I just landed. Oh, sorry. I'm taking <laughs> off again. We're, we're, we're disembarking now. Real men praise Jesus out loud. And that's what I want to tell young people. Back in the day when I was growing up and the, the men would sing out. In the last 15, 20 years, I haven't seen a lot of that. And a lot of times the ladies do. But I want to tell young men don't be afraid to worship Christ out loud in front of, especially in front of your brothers and sisters. Real men praise Jesus. And in front of their wives. It would be, yes. yeah, I mean, it's just good. Uh, Churl, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. And yeah. by the way, if they try to come up and stage dive, I will. That is the pastor punishment right, right there. I would take care of it. That's right. Danny T, always a pleasure. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.